All right, today we're going to talk about ISO 27701, um, which is really a, a new certification that has come out uh, here in 2020 to, to cover privacy. It's an overlay to 27001, which is a security framework and uh, gives companies an opportunity to certify against a security framework, but also a privacy framework. Um, I think we can kick it off with a quick introduction. So I'm the managing director here at Risk 360, um, focusing on our compliance practice and then also our security practice and really helping lead our ISO implementations, which mostly consist of ISO 27001 and 27701 and also 9001, which is our quality management system. So that's me, Christian. Hi, Phil, you mind doing a quick intro? Sure. So I'm a director here at Risk 360. I run our privacy practice, so working on compliance and program implementation, serving as uh, outsourced DPO for several companies. Um, I'm also a fellow of information privacy, uh, so passionate about privacy. Uh, excited to talk today. The resident expert. So for people watching that don't know, Phil's the uh, the brainchild behind most of our dozens of white papers at this point on privacy. And also, fun fact, Phil, you can do large math problems in your head, which I'm always impressed with. <laughs> I feel everyone needs to know that. <laughs> cool. So let's Thanks. dive in here. Um, so I guess the point of today's uh, talk really is is multifold. One, obviously, there's a there's a privacy prism to this. So we'll talk about how ISO 2771 addresses privacy from a philosophical perspective, um, but really also how organizations can become certified because a lot of times that's what the goal is. And um, you know, an important thing there is how uh, ISO 27001 and 27701 are related because you have to uh, really do both of those to obtain a certification. So we'll talk a little bit about that. Um, so we'll go into structure, implementation process, certification process, timeline, and then at the end, Phil, we'll rapid fire some questions at you to see if you can answer those. Okay. Cool. So we talked a little bit about like background already, but I think an important point for uh, people out there who maybe are going through ISO certifications for the first time is to kind of understand the backdrop and the governance structure of, of all the ISO frameworks really here in the US. So if you're seeking certifications um, here in the US, that uh, most of the organizations that are doing certifications are governed by an organization called ANAB. Uh, there's also one called UCAS and others, but you only need to know that because if you want to get certified, you need to be certified by an authorized certifying body. And that in here in the US is usually ANAB that governs the rule sets of how the auditor is going to audit you. Um, so you can go to their website, find a certifying body, make sure they're accredited. Um, that's that's an important point. I think right now in the US, uh, there's, uh, I think, 14 or 15 authorized accreditation bodies for 27,001. And I think there's only three or four that are also accredited to do 27701. So it's a pretty limited selection right now. So make sure you, uh, you get that. Uh, second thing is, if you're seeking certification, uh, understand that to get 27701, the privacy element of the certification, you have to first get 27001 certified. So if you don't have either one of those certifications right now, just understand the security and privacy are connected. So the journey is 27001 and 27701. Uh, we have a, another webinar uh, that Sawyer and I did uh, fill uh, over 27001. So it, it might be helpful to watch that webinar and then watch this one to kind of understand the full package. Um, so that's kind of the ecosystem we're, we're operating in. 
and then market drivers. So I think the bottom line is the driver on 27701 was was a GDPR ultimately. Um, you know, everyone globally uh, is getting scrutiny from business partners wanting to answer the question, how are you compliant with GDPR? Because um, anyone can state that they're compliant against GDPR, but you know, ultimately people want to be able to articulate what they're doing from a privacy perspective to meet those requirements. And I think 27701 was born out of that desire to evidence compliance. Um, and, and that's why I think I think 27701 is the only ISO framework that directly maps or includes a mapping in the framework back to another framework. So ISO 2771 maps back to GDPR. So I think that is the uh, the ecosystem that we're we're operating in. Phil, anything you want to add as far as important background or context before we dive in here? Um, yeah, I, I think that when you talk about uh, when you talk about GDPR, um, you want one of the elements that GDPR kind of touches on, doesn't go into much detail on, is the whole idea of adequate safeguards and securing personal information. That's why I think it's really great to have ISO 27701 builds right off of 27001. So that takes care of your security safeguards right there. Um, so it's yep. a great just total package. Yep, great point. Um, so I think maybe diving into structure a little bit here, um, and I'll set this up, Phil, and then maybe you can add the specifics as the expert. Um, but ISO, as, as a philosophical point, regardless or agnostic of what framework that you're working within is, is based on this idea of the management system. So how is your organization going to govern the topic at hand? So for ISO 27001, the governance structure is called the Information Security Management System, is your system of management around security. Uh, following suit, 27701 is all about the privacy information management system, so how you plan to govern privacy. Uh, and then, you know, quality management system, whatever you're doing has a management system. And if you're doing multiple, you'll, you may also hear this concept of the integrated management system. So, Phil, one thing I think we've seen that's been very popular is the ISMS for security, the PIMS for privacy, along with the QMS, a quality management system. So that's 27,001, 27,701, and 9,001 combined. So you'll see those things, but either way, it's all about the management system. And, that, and for a 27701, that's that green section that you see here, Clause 5, the Privacy Information Management System. That links back to Clauses one, uh, 4 through 10 in 27001. And at a, we'll talk about this in a second, but it's about governance, leadership, risk assessment, uh, your KPIs, your planning, how you're doing internal audit and continuous improvement. So if you're familiar with 27001, it's linked back to that. And we'll, again, we'll talk about that in detail here in a second. But that's the PIMS. And then 27701 has clauses 6 through 8, Annex A and B, Annex C through F. So, Phil, could you maybe give, just give us the quick overview of how that framework's broken up? Yeah, so Clause 6 is building off of uh, ISO 27001, Annex A. Uh, so the implementation guidance for that is uh, ISO 27002. Um, so in Clause 6, you're seeing uh, I believe it's about 25% of the 27,001 controls have additional guidance specific to the protection of PII. Um, so a lot of that's just making sure that your scope is right and you're specifically considering PII in your implementation of the ISO controls. 
um, goes into a little more detail around like asset management, um, some event logging, but um, largely not a huge lift over 27,001. Then clauses seven and eight, uh, clause seven is around controller responsibilities, clause eight is around processor responsibilities. So these are these are your controls uh, hewing very closely to GDPR, if you want to look from that perspective, but getting down into notice choice consent, uh, subject access request, privacy by design, um, supplier ma supplier management uh, with respect to privacy, so your subprocessors. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so all of that will be covered in clauses seven and eight. So is it fair to say, kind of as a summary, clause six is just that privacy overlay to 27001 implementation. Mm -hmm. And then seven and eights when you're really breaking out, am I a controller of the data or a processor of the data? And and you know how is that applicable to me? Got yeah, it. Exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. exactly. Um, so Annex A and B is just li listing out those controls. So um, those mirror clauses seven and eight. Um, then there are some mappings uh, in the additional annexes. So there's a mapping to ISO. 29100, which is around, um, which is around privacy. Uh, Annex D is probably the most interesting one. That's uh, ISO's mapping to GDPR, um, which mm -hmm. is pretty comprehensive. Um, Annex E, uh, looking at ISO 27018, which is a, a previous standard that's kind of getting, getting phased out. And then uh, Annex F is uh, a very short example of just interpreting uh, Clause 5, essentially. Yeah. So the, those last few are all just illustrative. Uh, not You don't have to address them for certification. Yeah, I think that's an important point because um, it, it seems like a lengthy framework if you just look at the, the document package but it's separated into mandatory and, and non-mandatory or optional areas. And uh, the first part of this, Clause 5, Clause 6, 7, 8, Annex A and B are mandatory you know, if you're a processor and controller. And then uh, C through F are all uh, optional or just kind of informational, like you said. Cool. So maybe diving a little bit into the PIM. So if you've, if you've never been audited over an ISO framework, um, I think it's surprising to know that the the heart of the audit and really the heart of the framework isn't the controls themselves. We see this a lot in 27001 uh, and, and also privacy where when people think of ISO frameworks, they immediately jump to the controls, the 114 controls or the, the various privacy controls that are you know, all about implementing the framework where the heart of the audits and also the heart of the implementation is the management system itself. So it's important to cover off on that because I think probably over 50% of the audit efforts for certification uh, and a good chunk of the implementation efforts is all about that governance structure. So, so PIMS here, you'll see we have the relevant clause and then in gray there is where that maps back to the ISO 27001 ISMS clause. But just quick walk through, you have kind of the context of the organization. So I guess, from my perspective, I like how the, the PIMS and ISMS is broken out because it's, it's a good way to think about a program. So it says, hey, tie it back to the context of your organization, the internal stakeholders, external stakeholders, the business case, things like that. So you can put your your uh, program 
you know, as it says, in context of what's important for the organization. So that's really what Clause 5 is about, uh, or Clause 5.2. Then you get into leadership. This is talking about government governance, top-level managements, and you'll hear this a lot, Contin uh, their um, commitment to continuous improvement. So if top-level management's not involved, you know, that's a red flag from an ISO uh, auditor's perspective. Then you get into planning, which is your risk assessment, your strategic roadmap, your resource planning. That's kind of the same through support. Operations, where we get into some KPIs and, and uh, some, again, it refers back to risk assessment. And then clause 5.7 and 8, it's really when you get to your measurement activities, when you're doing your annual internal audits, so you're rolling those internal audit findings up to management and then ultimately taking corrective action to build those back into your everyday processes. So that's the ecosystem of the PIMS. Um, you know, the heart of the of any ISO certification is that management system. Anything you want to highlight here? I know there's a couple uh, nuances to the PIMS, Phil. Yeah. Um, so another thing I really like about this framework, it, uh, relative to GDPR, uh, GDPR establishes the DPO, uh, or data protection officer that can be a big part of your implementation of clause 5.3 but I think to really implement a management system you're you're going beyond that because you're thinking about um, about risk assessment and really a, a living program you know we, we talk about continuous improvement and that's really it can almost be a sea change compared to uh, the way I think organizations kind of say they they did a GDPR implementation and that 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 was enough. When you talk about continuous improvement, you're really really looking at things on an ongoing basis, adding in planning, um, mm -hmm. resource management. So uh, it really helps take your privacy program to the next level. Yeah, I think one of the things that we we try to do when we implement is, from a leadership perspective, is implement what we call the Information Risk Council, and also brand it as an office of the ODPO or Office of Data Protection Officer. So that's that cross-functional leadership group that has that has a good view across the organization to make decisions when it comes to policy, security, privacy but then can have breakouts down into their departmental or product areas to so, that, so it's a good mix of agility and centralization and that usually solves that leadership problem uh, so think about an information risk council and then in planning I, I think one of the things that always comes up is how do I integrate privacy into a risk assessment um, because mm -hmm. you're likely doing 27,001 a lot of people are very familiar with security risk assessments but then you're supposed to tack on privacy and what does that look like and we've kind of talked about integrating that with something called a data uh, a PIA, which is a privacy impact assessment, thinking about how your new products or services might impact the privacy of your end users or even your own uh, employees, and then integrating those risks into your risk register or your overall risk assessment program for security and privacy. So uh, just things to think about if you're hearing those words, PIA or DPIA, which is your data protection impact assessment, maybe those are good opportunities to integrate with your, your overall risk assessment. Cool, so maybe we'll dive a little bit into the implementation. So I think there's, there's two parts to think about here if you're on your certification journey. One is implementing the program clearly, and then the second piece is certifying your program. So I'll, I'll walk us through implementation here. I know, Phil, you're going to cover off on some of the certification process. So implementation is is typically done 
one of two ways. One, you're going to do this in-house or you're going to engage a third party to help you implement. That's kind of where we specialize in on the implementation. And then you're going to go find an, an independent certifying body that would, would do the certification itself and be supported through that. Um, so focusing on implementation, I think we typically break this out into four steps. I think it's easy to conceptualize that way. Um, first of all, you, you do your scoping and planning. So all ISO frameworks uh, are governed by a very specific scope. I, I like that because it gives you some flexibility to carve out sections of the business that perhaps it doesn't make sense. Um, you can even carve out certain functions or, or products and only have certain products and systems uh, certified. And, and there's always a good mix of corporate governance that'll be kind of global mixed with product focus. Uh, so it gives you, I think ISO in general is a is a right-sized approach uh, given that it's both flexible but comprehensive. So during scoping, that's when we do, you'll hear terms like the statement of applicability, which is which controls are in scope. You'll hear stuff, uh, something called the application letter, which is what you'll send to your external auditor to uh, apply for certification. Uh, also communication cadences, deciding if you're a processor or a controller. Uh, and which controls are applicable to you there. That's all the stuff we do during scoping and planning, and that will really impact what the scope of certification is uh, you know, when you when you pursue that. And then we come in and we do a current state assessment. That's that's really just a gap assessment against the ISO 27701 framework. Um, and we try and we try to do that in a way where it also fulfills the internal audit requirements. So you have to measure yourself anyway. And, and you know, a lot of companies are doing you know 60, 70 percent of the stuff right, and there's a 30 percent delta. So for that 30 percent delta, you need to come up with a remediation plan and, and, and go about implementing that. So that's when we come to those last two steps. I think some of the most common steps on that remediation roadmap is developing a formal PIMS. Sometimes that's not natural to an organization to have that developing policies, executing a risk assessment, helping implement privacy by design. So building in privacy into the development process is a common thing. Um, and then ultimately program implementation where we go write the policies, we go implement the controls, we establish the governance structure, put together meeting agendas, you know, that whole nine yards. And then we draw a line in the sand ultimately and say, hey, look, we feel like our program's up and running and it's ready to go. Let's go get certified. And then we will move on to that step next. But as far as uh, implementation, Phil, anything you want to highlight here that you think is important based on your experience? Um, no, I, th I think this is pretty, pretty comprehensive. Could you, could, could you talk? I, I do. We we glanced over it a little bit, but could you maybe just talk about like um, how we? Let's say someone already has an ISMS. Our approach to like overlaying PIMS and risk assessment to an existing infrastructure for if they're already doing ISO twenty seven thousand one. Sure, sure. So um, I think I think when you look at the PIMS guidance, there are going to be a few areas where you you definitely want to expand your ISMS. Um, one thing, really, the first thing is just verifying your scope, um, seeing how protection of PII fits into what you what you've built into your uh, Security management system. Uh, so, you know, it's rescoping, and then there's going to be, you know, the specific language we can we can help with. But then it's it's really it's really making sure that we've handled the scope correctly. And then, um, like we talked about a little bit, looking at the risk assessment and ways to make sure we're considering privacy there. Sure. Um, so it's not. Um, 
it's not a redo, I guess yeah, you would say, yeah. right? I think that's, yeah, that's you, the bottom you've done line. A lot. Yeah, if, you, if you've put a management system in place, then you're in great shape to continue on with 27701. Yep, so I think last point, I made a note here at the bottom not to forget. So there's always this question of I'm, I'm an organization and I want to implement you know, privacy and get certified around that. So do I implement 27,001 first and then maybe the next year do 27701 or do I do a 27,001 27701 combo? And we were talking about this before before the webinar, Phil, and then we were like, dang it, we're going to have to give the consulting answer, which is that it depends. And uh, I think the thing to consider there is resources. So if you're doing 27,001, the security universe is often limited to, you know, security personnel. There's going to be some leadership involved, engineering product teams, probably ITs involved. And maybe that's intuitive because security is something people think about a lot. But then when you think about privacy, there's often new stakeholders. So the, the biggest one often being legal. So you may have to, to bring in the legal team to think about how you're handling privacy. Um, so the lift isn't a lot, I would say, to do them um, together. It's just additional stakeholders, additional considerations. So if you're already familiar with 27001 and everyone has a common ground and, and you're, you feel like you're pretty mature, and you already have policies, things like that, I would probably say go ahead and do a combined implementation. However, if ISO language is totally new to you, um, you know, a lot of these concepts, security is new to you, privacy is also new, then in that case, I think from a sheer volume of vocabulary, it's easier to break these things up. So then maybe you do 27,001 first, and then you do 27,701 maybe the following year, which is a very common approach. Um, but there's no one size fits all, it's highly dependent. Um, so then, like I said earlier, you, you all right, we're in great shape. We've implemented the program. Now we have to go after certification. Um, so Phil, could you maybe just kind of walk us through the certification process? Sure, sure. So um, once you've, once you've identified your external auditor who's going to do the certification, um, you're going to walk through uh, that, that planning and scoping with them. Um, similar to implementation, just they're going to need to understand the size of your program and what they're going to be certifying. Uh, so they'll they'll send you a formal application letter to collect that background information because they, they do have standards they need to meet around like audit time so that that will help them determine what what's going to be required from them uh, from there you can move to stage one once everything is agreed upon so stage one uh, the auditors going to look at um, it's going to be more heavy on the PIM side, making sure that you've you've got you've got the documents in place, uh, and you've started your uh, governance structure. They'll pull out a few additional uh, high-risk items from the remainder of the standard just to to make sure that you you look good. They they think that you're ready to go to the full audit, which is stage two. Uh, so stage two. Um, that will that will usually be on site um, when, when we're not in the midst of a pandemic. So um, on site time is also determined by the standards your auditor has to meet. And this um, 
fortunately, the, this looks a lot like the internal audit that we do during implementation, so it, it won't be the, the first time you're seeing the request, but the auditor is going to have extensive requests around all of your in-scope controls. They're going to look at your PIMS implementation in detail. So that, that's where the that's where the rubber really meets the road, and it's uh, it's an intense audit. But um, when you've gone through implementation, you should be in good shape to to handle it. So you've, you've yep. been through it once with us. Yeah, typically, I think uh, again, don't forget this is going to be in tangent with the 27001 audit so so what often happens logistically is you'll have a security auditor come out in tangent with having someone with some privacy expertise so sometimes that'll be the same person because they know both sometimes it'll be one guy or girl for security and another person for privacy um so so i think the one thing to highlight i feel like state is this is like a 60-day minimum process uh, we'll talk about timeline here in just a second, but a lot of folks don't plan for that. You know, I, I think they think of a six month or 12 month implementation, but they don't realize 60 to 90 days of that is the audit itself because you do stage one, then 30 days later you do stage two, and then another 30 days that it takes to get certification. And we'll talk about that here in just a second. We'll talk about timeline. Um, so thanks, Phyllis. Let's talk about timeline since we're on that. Um, timelines, I would say on average, for an implementation or and certification or somewhere between six and 12 months. And, and that's largely gonna depend on the size and complexity of the organization and also how motivated you, you are to become certified. If you have time to spare, I always say, hey, let go for the 12 month timeline that we can do a deep thorough implementation. You don't have to drop everything and focus only on this. You can kind of keep your day job and make sure operations are up and running. But frankly, a lot of this is driven by you know, a prospect or a customer's requirements. They say, I will not do business with you unless you have an ISO certification. So they probably have a line in the sand when they want to see that certification happen. So we've seen those, you have six months to do it and, and you just have to do that. That's okay. Um, on average, we break it out like this. This is where I was talking about. If you look at the right-hand side here, don't forget about that minimum 60 days of the audit. Um, and So let's talk through this. So kind of plannings that first month, we talk about scope. In tangent, we do our gap assessment, current state assessment. Uh, you know, that usually takes a month, and then into the second month, we're kind of wrapping up. Then we do our remediation roadmaps. We get all of our stakeholders together. We talk about what needs to done, get done, when it needs to do it, who, who's going to do it, and then we start implementing. You know, you're writing policies, you're rolling them out, you're getting them ratified, you're implementing security controls, you're updating your security protocols, all that good stuff. Then you're going to do stage one on it, just like Phil talked about, uh, and then. The, there's usually a 30 day delta, 30 to 45 day really delta between stage one and stage two. So you have to plan for that gap. Stage one's like a week long or a couple days long. 40, 30 to 45 days later, you'll do stage two, which is you know a week or two depending on the organization size. Sometimes even longer. And then um, and then roughly 30 days later is when you're going to get your report in hand. And so don't don't forget to plan for that. You're going to do your stage two audit, but then it's like 30 to 60 days later, depending on the certifying body, before you actually get a certification in hand to hand off to the customer because they have QA, you know, they have other clients they're working on, so it takes a while to get that certification in hand. So don't forget about that right hand side of the uh, the planning when you're planning your timeline out and making commitments with clients. Phil, anything you want to add here? I know you've been through a ton of audits, you know, sitting on the other side of the auditor. Anything you want to add to this timeline? No, I think you hit it. Cool. 
All right, so Phil, get, sit, buckle up here. We're going to start hitting you with some rapid fire. So we've compiled a handful of questions that um, almost everyone asks, so we wanted to make sure we built in some time to just answer those and hopefully answer questions that people watching this might have. So I'm just going to rattle them off here. Um, so big one up front, Phil, how much does a ISO 27701 certification cost? <laughs> yeah, it's it's going to depend. Yeah. Uh, that's a simple answer. Um, again, we we um, in conjunction with number three uh, processor slash controller, uh, we'll we'll work on getting your scope right. Um, thinking about what um, what your customers and stakeholders are are interested in, because um, that that's what you that's what you need to satisfy in the end, but uh, we're also conscious of effort and cost. So um, looking at all of that together to yep. make sure that we're taking the right approach. I, I think, correct me if I'm wrong here, Phil, I think, and this is a little bit dependent on how complex your privacy situation is, because some sometimes that's a lot more complex than others. But if you're already doing 27,001, you're probably looking at a 25 to 50% cost increase over what you're already doing for 27,001. That's probably a planning factor. And if you're if you already know that your privacy situation is really complex and there's a lot of data involved and kind of eats towards the 50% additional and if you're pretty simple maybe the 25% as a planning factor. Um number 2, so everybody's wondering is 27701 a GDPR certification? No, it is not. Um when you, when you, so the, uh, the EU Data Protection Board is uh, appears to be holding strong right now, um, and they're they're not really addressing 27701 at this point. Um, I think if you if you really dive deep enough, um, you can see where there are still some deltas. But um, fr from a market facing perspective, I feel that it, it gets. It covers so much of what GDPR is going for that, that yep. it can be very effective. So I think we're we're in June 2020, and as of today, I don't think there is any GDPR certification, That's right? Correct. But we need a the marketplace needs a mechanism to say, hey, look, you know, here here's what we're doing around privacy, and 2771 I think arguably is the most effective method to do that right now. So it's the exactly. best we have. Um, so how do I know if I'm a controller or a processor? Um, so again, I, I think a big portion is what what your customers and stakeholders are are interested in. Um, we, in a lot of cases, we're we're steering companies, um, especially service providers, more towards processor only, because um, if if your customers are providing you personal information of their customers or their employees, then um, you're you're probably doing some processing there that may be sensitive, so it would make sense for that to be in scope. And all you're really controlling is, say, a username slash email, password, um, just less critical from a privacy perspective. Um, yeah. So it, yeah. it, it depends a lot on your business model. Yeah, maybe an important point is uh, you you may in fact be both le by the letter of the law, but but you don't have to get certified on both. You could, for example, yep. just choose processor. I think it's largely dependent upon, like you said, the nature of the business. So, for most of our service provider clients, uh, they're they're 
they're oper they're working with controllers who own the data, handing it off to the processor and saying, I really want to know what you're doing as a processor. So that's kind of the focus. Um, so let's take risk assessment number four and five as a whole. So everyone like so what is the difference between like maybe a privacy risk assessment and a privacy impact assessment? What do those look like functionally if if people are hearing words like that? Mm -hmm. So there a privacy risk assessment, there's really not not a ton of guidance out there. Um, from our perspective, I think we're looking at the impact, the potential risk and impact to the business of the data they hold and the types of processing they perform. Um, the privacy impact assessment is really a different different frame of mind because the key phrase there is the rights and freedoms of individuals. So you're taking the, those same inputs, the data you hold, the processing you perform, but you're looking at it from a perspective of what, what could happen with this data, what could happen as a result of the processing that could um, affect the rights and freedoms of the individuals whose, whose data it is. Yep, so you're, I'm bringing a new product to market and maybe thinking there is a product owner, hey, am I collecting a bunch of new data on individuals and is that gonna impact my relationship with them? Or no, you know, so some of that stuff integrating, there's also this concept that we talk about of privacy by design. So as I'm building an application, I'm building in privacy. Uh, same with security by design. All right, we're gonna do number six and I'll bounce around a little bit. So uh, what, if, what if I'm in the cloud, which almost everyone is, right? I'm using yeah. AWS or Google Cloud or whatever. How, how does that impact this? Um, gosh, so, um, I think, I think the big thing is to understand what, what you're responsible for, uh, with respect to your cloud provider. So, um, you, you might think that, uh, something is, you know, automatically configured securely and you're, you're covered from that perspective, but, uh, your cloud provider should be giving you the information on what what you actually have to do if you're looking at your own compliance requirements. Um, I think the main thing is just understanding. Um, you know, you, you still have a responsibility even if the infrastructure itself is outsourced. You you have things that you'll need to be responsible for that the auditor is going to look at. Yeah, I think kind of the the biggest pieces of audit artifacts, if you will, stuff you have to provide an auditor. Um, it's typically a, like a data, a DPA, like a, a data protection addendum or data processing addendum, however you want to call that. So yeah. some form of vendor management, some form of agreement with that third party saying, hey, this is what I'm providing you. We have, you know, some agreements in place of how we're going to process that data. Um, so make sure you're doing that. And when you're working with these huge cloud providers, you know, most organizations have almost no leverage. You can't make them comply or do what you would like. But the good news is most of those companies are ahead of that and they have resources available to all of us end users. For example, uh, DPA templates and pre-written agreements that they go ahead and, and enable end users to comply with those, those requirements. Um, I, I'm gonna skip around a little bit here. Um, okay. So Phil, what, what does, this is a good question, what does uh, an ISO 27701 certification look like? Or what's the piece of paper I'm gonna get to <laughs> hand off to clients? Yeah, um, it it's uh, it's a little a little less than you might expect. Um, 
It, it is a piece of paper. It will contain uh, the specific scope that you provide in the application letter, and it will say you've, you've, you've met the requirements of ISO 27001 and 27701. Yep, it's literally a one pager, sometimes two if your scope's long enough, but pretty. So a lot of people have seen SOC 2s or high trust reports or others that are, yeah. you know, hundreds of pages or 100 pages, whereas a certification truly is a pretty limited document. Um, I guess talking a little bit about our stuff, can you talk a little bit about the resource? We have questions around, do we have policy templates, things like that? What do we have available to people if, if they need to get started, Phil? Yep, so uh, we have... We have our, our PIMS template, which is which is really the basis for your program. Um, we have a, a ODPO charter that can be used, risk management policies, um, policies over subject access requests. Um, we can work on um, standard contractual clauses and data processing addendums. So uh, really the, the whole gamut of your program and what, what might come up under 27701. I, I think the favorite thing that, that we do that we get to work on is like restructuring governance structures for organizations to fit privacy in there. So like structuring an information risk council or similar, thinking about who needs to be involved, what the roles and responsibilities are, how to charter that organization, what the KPIs they should track. So that kind of stuff's really fun and is really the foundation of a great, great program because you have to, there's really no two that look exactly alike and that's kind of fun. All right, for the sake of time, I'm going to stop us there. I think that's that's most of the big questions and, and talk a little bit about if people want additional resources, if they want to access your brain uh, for any questions, how to do that. So we have uh, Phil Brudney, who we're speaking here. He's our director of privacy author of a lot of our thought leadership. You have his email there if you guys want to reach out to him. Also myself, uh, if, if you want to reach out to me, email there. A couple things to point back to. We have a lot of white papers on 27701, 27001, GDPR, CCPA. I think you did a state-by-state -state mapping of the different privacy requirements across states at one point. So if you go to our white papers page, there's a lot of free resources available to be able to kind of dissect this and think about your privacy strategy and security strategy. Uh, similarly, we have a lot of blog posts, so you can go to our uh, ISO category there, check out our blog posts. I think we write something almost every week. Um, and then last kind of link there is if you are looking for an accredited certifying body, uh, you can go to ANAP's website and they have that list, pretty short list. There's like 15 organizations that can do that. Like I said, five that can do 2771 or something like that. So pretty short list. Um, white papers, access to Phil, blog posts. Uh, that should get everyone started and they can reach out to us. Uh, so Phil, thank you for sharing some of your expertise with us. Uh, you're a privacy beast, so it's always great to talk to you. Uh, and thanks everybody Johnny. for listening.